Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a closer look at the opioid crisis in the state. Minnesota State Colleges and Universities are on a mission to help skilled workers fill open positions. And former Gopher basketball star Quincy Lewis takes on a new role to keep former Gopher letter winners connected to the U. But first... Important news on the health care front this week in Minnesota. And, surprise, surprise, more politics in the race for Minnesota Attorney General. MNN's Bill Werner updates us on both as he joins us now. Scott, good news for those who do not have health insurance through their employer and have to buy their coverage on the individual market. Officials announced this week that for the second year in a row, there will be significant decreases in premiums in 2019, ranging from about 7% to nearly 28%. Commerce Commissioner Jessica Luman says Minnesotans who receive health care tax credits through Minsure will see less of a rate reduction, but... The greatest positive impact will be for Minnesotans who are not eligible for tax credits and who must pay the full cost of their own premiums. These people should see significantly lower premiums available to them when they shop for their health plans. Actual premiums depend on a person's individual situation and what coverage they select. Minsure's Christina Wessel. We'll have those uh, new rates up in our online plan comparison tool by mid-October, so consumers can kind of do their window shopping before open enrollment starts on November 1st. Then there is the issue of access. In other words, can people keep their doctors? Lawmakers have been watching that closely after some major HMOs dropped out of the market a few years ago, at a time when premiums were also skyrocketing. But State Health Commissioner Jan Malcolm says for 2019, no network service areas will be reduced. Most counties will have two or three available provider networks and associated qualified health plans. Only two counties in our state will have only one available provider network. That is Lake of the Woods in Meeker County. Officials say a lot of factors have contributed to this relative stability in Minnesota's health care market over the last year or so. But the most politically significant is the reinsurance package that the legislature passed and Governor Mark Dayton somewhat reluctantly let become law without his signature. While obviously concerned about previous jumps in health insurance premiums, the governor warned of the impact that reinsurance would have on the state budget. Reinsurance means the state pays the cost of health coverage for the most seriously ill Minnesotans, with the presumed effect of holding down everyone else's premiums, something that did happen in 2018 and will happen in 2019. But the price tag is in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And the governor said this week the state, quote, cannot sustain and Minnesota taxpayers cannot afford to keep footing the bill for big insurance companies. Dayton proposes any Minnesotan, not just low-income residents, be able to buy their insurance through Minnesota Care, the state-run program. He argues the pool buying power of the state will mean significantly lower premiums, as much as 28% less than commercial plans. But the political reality of this is, to be frank, Dayton will have little or no say in what happens next year because he will have left office. And Minnesota will have either a Democratic or a Republican governor, and which it is will make a big difference on what happens with health care. Senate Republicans pushed reinsurance through the legislature, but they seem to agree with Dayton that it's not the way to go long term for 2020 and beyond. Ham Lake Senator Michelle Benson is the GOP's health care point person in the Minnesota Senate. What we're going to do is look at what kind of success we've had, see if there's a better model that we can use. We really do want to optimize any time um, you're taking taxpayer money. We want to optimize its impact. 
other states have started to use market stabilization tools. We want to make sure that we are um, continuing Minnesota's long legacy of being innovative leaders in health coverage and health care. Mark Dayton will not be governor next year, but one of the two people who could be is Democrat Tim Walls. He has come out in favor of single-payer health care, although his campaign stresses it would be phased in over time to buffer the impact on the state budget. Walls skirted the issue in a statement this week, saying his vision for health care, quote, focuses on bringing down the cost of care and expanding coverage from a variety of angles. Republican Senator Benson says, Unfortunately, uh, candidate Walls hasn't had to stand up to a lot of scrutiny on this issue. It's easy to make promises. It's tough to actually pay for the promises you make. Let's switch gears now to the race for Minnesota Attorney General. Domestic abuse allegations keep dogging Democratic candidate Keith Ellison, and top analysts say tactical errors by the Minnesota DFL party probably made that situation worse. Party officials hired an attorney to do what they termed an independent investigation. The attorney concluded the accusations by Karen Monahan against Ellison were unsubstantiated. Not surprisingly, that report did not convince many people. So party officials asked Minneapolis City Attorney Susan Siegel to review the report, presumably trying to improve its credibility. Siegel refused, citing possible conflict of interest because Ellison's son is on the Minneapolis City Council. Siegel asked Dakota County Attorney James Backstrom to review the case. Backstrom responded he would only do so if there was first an investigation by the Minneapolis Police Department. DFL party officials asked MPD to review the case. They declined, again citing a possible conflict of interest. Hamlin University professor David Schultz's take. The entire investigation that the state DFL did seems very odd, and the, the results seem even more perplexing. What I mean by that is that they say that Keith Allison, the charges are unsubstantiated, they're not going to release the report, but they want to send it off to some police department to confirm the results before they actually release the report or anything else. And that's very odd because generally, unless there's a criminal complaint out there, police are not going to investigate, and they're certainly not going to verify or, or double-check an investigation that somebody else did. I would assume probably what they're doing is trying to find uh, a credible source to, uh, to give them the conclusion that they want, which is that Keith Ellison is, is innocent of this, or, or at least that the accusations cannot be substantiated. Would that be uh, a reasonable assumption? It does seem like a reasonable assumption that, again, it doesn't really look like it was an independent investigation. I think many people are suspect the fact that the DFL did it, suspect regarding who did the actual investigation, and kind of backfired on them because now the story seems to be coming out about the Democrats and the DFL trying to uh, shop around the report, try to pretty it up in some way. It really hasn't worked out the way they were hoping it would. Hamlin University's David Schultz. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. So you see, son, good manners are very, very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. 
Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouth full, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Miles, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The CDC estimates there were 401 overdose deaths from opioids in Minnesota last year, out of a total of 715 overdose deaths. That's an increase of nearly 10% over 2016. I recently chatted with Regions Hospital neurologist Dr. Brett Hockey about the continuing devastating impact of the opioid epidemic and what his concerns are as officials try and reverse the trend. Because I'm very close to this work and and what's going on in this area, um, I also am concerned about something that's a little bit more nuanced, uh, which is that um, we are in the midst of um, decreasing the amount of prescriptions that we prescribe and the amount of uh, prescription opioids that are hitting the market, and we categorically have bent the curve on that. And I'm a little bit afraid that as we have restricted the amount of prescription opioids going to the market, that other people are turning to um, other ways to get their opioids, and those other ways include um, less predictable routes. Uh, you know, they get medications on the street, and some are not the amount that they are used to or know, and some of them sometimes are laced with other medications like fentanyl. In terms of prevention or trying to sort of reverse this trend that's been going the wrong direction for years now, what what sorts of things are you proposing? Well, my interest has really been in trying to change the way we treat pain so that we don't put um, opioids into the market. And so one way to think about that is that over time, and particularly up through the 70s and 80s, about 0.5% or 1 out of 200 people in the United States were using opioid compounds. After there was this change in the way we were treating pain, there was this um, um, uh, uh, movement from the government, from Center for CMS, that they wanted us to monitor pain on everybody, and there was data suggesting that opioids weren't so dangerous and the risk of addiction wasn't so high. All of these prescription opioids hit the market for pain, and now we went from a 0.5% rate uh, of opioid use to 5%. And so my... Um, interest has been to decrease the way we treat people on the front end to decrease the amount of opioids hitting the market by 90% and get back to kind of the baseline levels of opioid addiction or habituation. Um, now, in the context of the fact that as we start to move to um, not giving pills, which is the right thing to do for acute pain or people that aren't on opioids, we have to be careful that the people that are already on chronic opioids are able to get the um, uh, opioid treatment or addiction treatment that they need. 
And with regard to that treatment, I know one of the options uh, that folks have been talking about is a naloxone and more uh, distribution of, of that in terms of helping people out. What do you think about that? Well, naloxone is a lifesaver. And for people that take uh, a too high of a dose of opioids or they get o- an opioid medication that they aren't anticipating that creates too high of a dose, their breathing slows down and, and the worst case scenario, their breathing stops. And naloxone reverses that in a second. So naloxone is a chance to save people from overdose deaths and is imperative in people that are on opioids um, every day. Um, but so that's the unique uh, setting for the naloxone. The other things that um, are that need to be done are just helping people that are on the opioids every day to figure out what a safe weaning program is or to maintain them on safe um, uh, opioids every day. We call that medication-assisted therapy, where we use medications like Suboxone, where we maintain them on a, a safe, stable dose of opioids while we then work with them on what it looks like to wean their dose over time and get treatment for coincident behavioral health issues and general life issues. You mentioned a little bit earlier that in large part uh, doctors are prescribing opioids less. They've sort of gotten the message from this epidemic that we have here. But I'm wondering, are pharmaceutical companies still pressuring um, medical establishments and doctors to prescribe these things? Obviously, there's a chance that uh, pharmaceuticals can lose a lot of money by not having these things prescribed. I have not seen that kind of overt marketing that I was seeing as recently as three to five years ago. And, uh, but certainly for decades, um, a lot of the verbiage around opioids are safe, the risk of habituation is low, we, we as a society need to treat pain better. Uh, boy, if someone gets addicted to a medication but their pain is improved and they're able to be better in life, that that's a good thing. All of that is kind of pharmaceutical marketing, and it was extremely prevalent through the 90s, 2000s, and then even after the turn of this last decade. Um, I think that a lot of that has been a little bit more subtle now. Um, I don't see it as much, um, um, I, so I can't comment on where it still is out there. There certainly is still a lot of misconception out there, but we're, we're undoing a lot of um, learning that has happened over the last 20 to 30 years. Doctor, as we wrap things up here, uh, Friday is International Overdose Awareness Day, and I'm just wondering if you if you had a message out there to listeners that are either suffering from addiction to opioids or maybe family members that are caring for loved ones that are suffering from it, what's your message to those people? Well, for people in pain, uh, we have um, ways to help them not be in pain and that includes getting them off the opioids that are actually worsening the pain. And for people that are on opioids and are feeling that they are stuck in a pattern that they just can't get off it, uh, they should seek out treatment. We have abilities to help uh, maintain them in a way where we can get them off opioids or maintain um, their health in a way that doesn't make them um, have to feel so horrible or sick or feel so deserted. Thank you to my guest, Dr. Brett Hockey. If anyone listening out there is in need of help, you can call 1-800-662-HELP. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As baby boomers retire and job availability increases, manufacturers across the state are concerned about finding enough skilled workers to fill positions. MNN's Tasha Radel tells us that Minnesota State Colleges and Universities are on a road trip to help. This week, Minnesota State Colleges and Universities Chancellor Devinder Malhotra continued his tour across the state meeting with manufacturers to discuss concerns about the worsening workforce shortage and brainstorm ways Minnesota State could partner and help train skilled workers. You know, as you well know, uh, we are a system of 30 colleges and 7 universities and we graduate every year. Uh, close to about 38,000 students. Uh, And so we put out 38,000 new fresh graduates into the workforce every year. And almost uh, 19 to 20,000 of those really um, are graduates from career and technical programs from our two-year colleges. So we meet the workforce needs of the Minnesota's economy Uh, at all levels, at technical skills, two-year level, four-year level, graduate level. And, uh, you know, as you know, the world around us is changing, not only for higher ed, but also for our businesses, for economy, the way Minnesota is situated now, and then the demographics are changing. And so it makes sense uh, to uh, continue to talk to the employers of our graduates, and understand the workforce needs and the talent that Minnesota needs for the emergent jobs so that uh, we can align our portfolios and our work and our activities around that and so that we are, we are uh, well aligned to, to the needs of the economy and as well as the provide Minnesota the talented needs. So that's the, really the purpose, the background purpose. And these are essentially listening tours, essentially where I would uh, go into a region. We have a, we have a statewide reach. We, as I said, our 37 institutions are spread over 47 different communities and have 54 different campuses. So we are in every part of the state. Sometimes we get too metrocentric in just staying in the Twin Cities, as important as that is, because majority of our population is here, but it also makes sense to reach out uh, to other parts of the state, talk to the local businesses there with the help of our institutions and our colleges and universities, talk to the businesses, chambers of commerce, legislators, other uh, community leaders in the non-profit space who are focused on workforce development, and just be in a listening mode understand what is working for them, where our colleges and universities are delivering for their needs, understand where the gaps are, particularly with regard to emergent jobs and emergent workforce shortages, and then uh, work with our colleges and universities to make sure that our programmatic portfolio as well as our work is very well aligned in order to ensure that the uh, Minnesota has the talented needs and the wherewithal for sustaining its economic growth and prosperity. And Chancellor, uh, from the visits you've been on, what would you say are some of the challenges you're hearing from manufacturers across the state? The challenges really vary from region to region, depending upon the 
composition of industries located in a particular region and the kinds of shortages there are. But one thing which comes up time and again is that right now unemployment is at a very low rate and so the shortages are even more imminent and so there is some sense of urgency uh, on the part of the uh, businesses that we are align our work quickly so that they need the workforce they want. And the second one is that the businesses also realize that the knowledge content of all occupations is going up. Just to give you one salient fact, 75% of the current and emergent jobs right now in Minnesota will require some post-secondary credential. That is, some credential from either a college or a university. Almost half of them will require a four-year degree. And so it is much more, you need much greater lead time to train the worker of today than of the yesteryear who could learn on a fly on the job. Chancellor, so it seems that you have a really close working relationship with the different uh, companies across the state and kind of, I guess, transforming your curriculum to perhaps help meet their needs. You know, the, the local businesses are very, very complementary of the work going on uh, in our colleges and universities, and they are very engaged partners with our colleges and universities. Our, our presidents and our colleges of universities, on a regular basis, reach out to these businesses. But as you well know, the world around us is changing very rapidly. And as they change very rapidly, those business needs change very rapidly too. And the kind of training needed for the worker alters also considerably over time. And so we have to continuously align our portfolio and our work to the needs of our uh, business partners. Thanks again to my guest, Minnesota State Colleges and Universities Chancellor Devinder Malhotra. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. It was homecoming week on the U of M campus, and much of that revolved around athletics. Former Gopher basketball star Quincy Lewis was recently named the director of the M Club, which helps connect former Gopher letter winners to the department. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with Lewis to talk about his new role. I'm super excited. You know, um, I'm in this super sweet spot. I get to work with the student-athletes, and I, used to, I get to work with the alum. 
Uh, I get to help to build affinity with the young guys, and I get to uh, build affinity with the alums. So um, I really look at it really simple in my job is that every gopher is a gopher because they decided. They made the choice to come here. And in my role, I want to teach them as a student to be proud of that choice, and then as an alum, be proud of the choice that they made back. And I think that's really important. And in my new role, it's really just getting back to that. Everything that I'm going to try to do is to try to make our alums proud that they made that decision whenever it was. If it was 1973 or, you know, 2017, 18, 19, and the young gophers that are come in the future, you want to be a gopher, and we want to make you proud for that decision um, because we all know that kids can transfer. <laughs> they got schools to pick, and we want to recruit kids that have options. You know, we don't want to be the only school in, on, the, on the sheet. So uh, it's super, super exciting for me. And how important is alumni support for the greater good of the school to have alums who want to talk positively about the school, might write a check for the school, uh, all that stuff? I think it's so important. I think that, you know, most of us came here because some alum, you know, made it, made it look good to us or made it feel good to us. And the most important thing is, is that the degree that you have on the wall is only valuable with how the school is doing now. Uh, being a basketball player, it's only as good as the basketball team is now. So you're always tied to the Gophers. And one of the things that we want to do again is that we want you to be proud of it. And one of the reasons and one of the things you can do as an alum is if you care, find a way to be involved, find a way to help. You know, I look at it three ways. You can help the athletic department by being an advocate or by donating. If you want to help the student athletes, you can come and be a mentor. You can come and help them prepare for a job. You can help them with internships. And then the last part is, you know what, be civic. Go out, do fundraising. Go out and be a part of the community. Do community service. And you know what, if you don't like the way that the Board of Regents and everyone is treating us, go to your legislature and say, hey, stop it. You know, go for athletics is important. So those are three ways that we're going to be looking at really trying to activate uh, the alumni and give them a sense of purpose and say, hey, look, you know what? you still have a purpose as an alumni. Come back and help. Everyone isn't the same. You don't have to do it your, you know, the same way. Do it your way, but just come back and be involved. Yeah, and last one for you, because you're a good example of this. You were a young man from Arkansas. All of a sudden, you decide to come to Minnesota. You have a professional career, and where do you choose to uh, set up shop? You're back here in the Twin Cities representing the, uh, the M on, on uh, that chest, and still every now and then I see you wearing that Letterman's jacket. <laughs> <laughs> every once in a while. You know, I tell folks Minnesota is hands down the best place to live. When you talk about what the state offers, you talk about the, the quality of life. I mean, you know, our worst restaurant is probably somebody's best. <laughs> we, have every, we have every protein that you can imagine. You know, Jay-Z and Beyonce come through. Uh, you know, when you think about, like, I laugh because, you know, being a country boy, but if you think about all of the country uh, concerts that just come through the, the Twins <laughs> Stadium, it's just a great place to, uh, to live. And I love the fact that, you know, you drive about 30 to 45 minutes, you know, you're out in the middle uh, of the wilderness uh, being able to relax and, and have that. But also, too, I think the people are great. And like I said before, and I always say is that, it's so hard to leave because everyone loves gophers here. And, and I tell the young guys, hey, you come here, you work hard, you take care of yourself, and you do professional development. You care about this community, and this community will care for you. That's Quincy Lewis with Mike Grimm. 
That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.